Amen. You guys can have a seat. <clears throat> hey, you picked a great Sunday to be here. We are continuing uh, this Sunday in our series through the book of Ruth. We will be uh, exiting chapter one, going into chapter two. And I just want to start with a little bit of history. And so some of you may know this, I, I'm not sure, but do you actually know the Hebrew word for, for Boaz um, before he met Ruth? Ruthless. I just thought I would brighten your day with that. Okay. Yeah, now you got it. Okay, so Boaz, you're like, who the heck is Boaz? I'm glad you're here because we're going to meet that, that dude today. But yes, Boaz before Ruth, his name was Ruthless. Um, that's, that's it. It's my mother, so okay. She didn't like it. Hey, here we go. What did we see last week in the book of Ruth? Now, we didn't meet Boaz last week, but we did meet some other characters, right? If you remember, really, the, sto the story started out with this guy named Elimelech, whose name means, uh, and, and this isn't a joke, my God is my king. And we see that he takes he and his family, his wife Naomi, her name means sweetness, and their two children, their boys, uh, Kilion and Malon, which their names, names are, 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 are kind of strange. It's like sick and frail, sick and dying. And so a little strange names there. But what we see is Elimelech, whose name means my God is my king, actually takes things into his own hands, takes them out of his king's hands. And he travels to the land of Moab because there is a famine in the city of Bethlehem. And what we saw last week was it, it did not go well. Now, we, we can't fault Elimelech too much because I, I, I do understand, like, if, if there's a famine in this land, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to take care of my family. But we know that God in Leviticus and Deuteronomy specifically told the Israelites never to go to Moab. And as they traveled to Moab, they came back to Bethlehem. But as Naomi came back, Elimelech and her two sons did not. See, they passed away during this time. And Naomi comes back with her two daughter-in-laws, the women who had married her two sons, Orpah and Ruth. And upon return to Bethlehem, Naomi, who is an Israelite, tells Orpah and Ruth what? Hey, I release you to go back to your mother, go back to your land. Because even if I got pregnant tonight, would you wait for my sons to be a, a, a adult men and marry them? I don't, I don't have anything else for you. And Orpah goes back, but Ruth stays. And what we saw in that moment was in that moment of Ruth staying with Naomi, Ruth, the character of this story, the main person of this story, the only book of the Bible that is named after not just a woman, but a non-Hebrew woman. Now we have Ruth and Esther, but, but a, a Moabite woman? It's crazy. And we see in that moment that Ruth says, no, Naomi, I will stay with you. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And Ruth went from spectator to the things of God to partaker. And how did it happen? Well, Naomi, her mother-in-law, prayed a prayer of blessing in the midst of immense grief. And, and, and really, our main two takeaways was life with God is better, even in pain. And why is that? Because pain is never wasted under the sovereign hand of God. The God who created the universe, the God that we just sang about, he sees you and he sees your pain and, 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 and your pain is not taking him by surprise. I mean, one of the things that we, we really wrestled with last week was, was Naomi says, the Lord has turned his hand against me. And it's like, what does that even mean? Well, it means just that. That the God that we worship and the God that we believe in, we certainly believe that all things are in his control and under his hands. And he could have stopped the death of her husband and her two sons, and he did not. 
But nevertheless, in the midst of that pain, we saw God working as, as Naomi gives this prayer to Ruth. May the Lord deal kindly with you. At the heart of her pain, she still understood that the heart of God is kindness. And what we will see throughout this entire story is the idea of redemption in full. That those things that have been broken, lost, distorted will be made whole again. And today we continue in this story and we continue to see the story of redemption being written for Ruth. Now, don't forget, Ruth, is uh, she has the, the, the least lines in this story. We said that if this was a play, she might be like tree number two. Um, but nevertheless, the, the, the little lines that she has and the dialogue that she has, the story of Ruth is a, is, is a much bigger story than just a young woman from Moab. It is a story for all of us, and Ruth is someone to be honored. And so, with that, let's continue in our story. Uh, I hope I've gotten you caught up, but Ruth chapter 1, verse 19, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen, and if you don't own a Bible, we have free Bibles in the lobby. We would love to get a copy of the Bible in your hands, but we are going to be Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 19, diving into chapter 2 a little bit as well, but let's start here. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. Well, who? Naomi and Ruth. And when they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, she answered, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back, to the came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth the Moabitess. And they arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, some important aspects are mentioned here. Namely, as Ruth arrives back in Bethlehem and the women see her and, and, and her and Ruth, they say, what? Hey, how, is this surely Naomi? I mean, she left over 10 years ago for the territory of Moab and quickly... Naomi hits her with like a, a, a really nice greeting, I guess. She's like, don't, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Now, as I said in the beginning, Naomi means sweetness. Mara literally means bitter. So she is saying, "Do not. I, I don't, I, that's not my title anymore. Call me Mara because this is how I am. Remember, she has lost everything. And there are effects of that upon her. And this isn't the point of the sermon, but I think it's worth noting. This is just a side note. Do not rush pain and grief. Do not rush pain and grief. If you are going through something, go through it. Don't sidestep it. Don't slap a smile on. Let's be honest that where we're at is a tough, terrible spot right now. Is the Lord good? Yes. But is what we're going through good? Heck no. Don't rush pain and grief. But also recognize that as an outsider reading this story, Naomi is a completely different woman than she was in the beginning. She testifies of that, not just in the physical, but in the spiritual. Verse 21, I went away full, but I have come back empty. Well, what is that referring to? Well, what did she go away with that she did not come back with? Her family. But also, it's important to recognize that she went full of herself. Her plans, her dreams, her opportunities in Moab, where the Lord said, do not go. She went away following her husband, Elimelech, with everything that she thought she wanted. And now she has returned completely empty. And remember, what, is, what has happened is not good. 
But it's in this posture, and this is why, man, we got to love Naomi and her honesty throughout this story. In this posture, the Lord can redeem. Because do you notice that she does not call the Lord bitter but herself? You see the big difference there, right? That as she comes back and they're like, Naomi, which means sweetness. She's not like, yeah, this is me, but don't ever, don't ever talk to me about the God of Israel again. Friends, two things can be true at the same time. You can be bitter, mad, sad, wrecked. Any kids in here? Just one, but he doesn't know what I'm saying. Pissed. And, and the Lord is good, kind, and ready to redeem. You do realize that those two things can be true at the same time. And what I wrote in my notes, and I hope you'll jot this down, is at the end of you is the grace of Jesus. At the end of you, and at the end of you, there may be complete emptiness. What can be made full? Only things that are empty. See, without this, we just get to the end of us, and it's the end. And Naomi had this choice. Naomi had this choice. Why return to Bethlehem? If everything has gone wrong, why not stay in Moab? She's been there for a decade. Why be honest with others? Why not when they got to the city gates and they said, is this Naomi? She's like, yep, it's me. Y'all ready to eat? Why pray for God's kindness over Ruth and Orpah after you've experienced seemingly the opposite? Why? Because Naomi has come to this place where she knows true pain and grief, but she also knows the care of our Lord and that there is redemption and kindness. At the end of us, we are met with grace in the midst of hardship. And some of you forget Naomi's story. You know your story because you're here today. If we were to go around this room, we might not relate in much, but we would probably relate in hardship. Now, not all stories would be the same. But I bet one after the other, we could share stories of like, man, this was really painful in my life. This was hard. This was against me. This is something I did, whatever it is. And, and we could go around and we could probably all relate. And so forget Naomi, know you because you're still here and, and, and you worship. Why are you here today unless you know that at the end of you and in the midst of your pain, God is kind? You know that this is not a joke. And God is not done with your story or their story. So Naomi returns to Bethlehem and says, the Lord has, 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 has done crazy bad things in my life. And then this happens, Ruth 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. That was her husband, and his name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I have found favor? So Naomi answered her, go ahead, my daughter. Once again, it's just, it's important to know she goes from daughter-in-law to daughter because that's what pain will do. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. And she happened, underline that, she happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. What is happening here? So much, so we have to grab onto one thing. We could stay in just these few verses for hours, and so we just have to grab onto the, to, to, to one thing. I think the main thing we see here is the heart of God for the overlooked, undervalued, vulnerable outsider. You see, verse two, what? Ruth asked Naomi for permission to glean grain from a field. You do that, right? Who has a, you know, you're gonna wake up tomorrow and go glean grain from a field. 
That's what I thought. We don't know what's happening here. You see, commanded in the book of Leviticus, God's people, if you owned a field, what you were instructed to do is leave the edges untouched for those who could not afford food to come get food. You owned the field, but the edges, that belonged to those people. They were to leave the edges of their field unharvested so that those who could not afford a field, those who did not have something to eat, would stop by a field and use the edges. They were commanded, write this down, they were commanded to create margin. Margin on the edges. It's kind of like some of you weirdos who like the edge piece of the brownie pan. Why you go for that, I don't understand. Okay, okay, see? So, so you're the same people that's like, oh, edges of the field, that's me, right? And all jokes aside, I, th- I think this has been rightly deemed the third way of caring for people. I mean, think about this. When it comes to our society and caring for people, you, you really have yourself two, two options. I think a lot of people fall in these two categories. Number one is, well, everything that I have, I have. And if you want it, just work harder. That's one way of caring for people. You just tell them to work harder. Or we may find ourselves in another camp that says what? Well, just give folks everything they want without any responsibility. This is what uh, David Platt wrote the book, When Helping Hurts. That does not help you if I just give you whatever you want and you, you didn't do anything for it. Scripture is clear. You don't work, you don't eat. So, where do we find ourselves in this? Because should we be over here or, or over here? And, and what this scriptures really point us to is once again, maybe a better and a third way. Where God created and commanded his people to create margin so that folks could have what they need and work for it. They still had to harvest it. But it was there for them. It reminds me of Benjamin House, a Ugandan ministry that we've heard of before And their mission is simply this, Benjamin House exists to provide donors, churches, and other groups an avenue to inspire hope across Uganda through the gospel of Jesus Christ by, and catch this, by transforming the lives of at-risk and vulnerable children, preparing them for their futures, and building up the next generation of leaders. Their ministry is holistic, boots on the ground, goodness. And Benjamin House in Uganda, and some of our, our, our folks here have, have really close ties to that ministry. What they do is, is every social worker is Ugandan, every leader is Ugandan, and what they do is they take these families who are in poverty or without education, and they teach them what financial responsibility looks like, they teach them what education looks like, because what they know is that if we can teach the children and the young families what this means, it could change generations. And I love Briley, who's a part of this church, has told me that he's heard stories of families coming back to this ministry and saying, you can stop supporting us. We're good. It's not a handout. It's better. It's the better way that we're going to teach you what financial responsibility looks like. We're going to teach you what education looks like, and you're going to do it and go teach others. This is what is happening here. In the same way, God has instituted this law in efforts to support and truly love people in need. If you need food, it's right there. You just got to go work for it. And this is very practical for us, right? I mean, let's get very practical. What financial margin do you create? What margin do you create in your finances for that person who is in need that, that you can supply a need? 
What margin do you create in your time? That when someone texts you that you're there. And then forget that. Let's go beyond that. Do you see the quote-unquote marginalized in our society or, and be careful with this, friends, or is that not your problem? Do you see the folks that others have deemed outsiders? Do you see the vulnerable, those who need protection? Do you see those who go without food? And do you have the margin in your life to do something about it? You see, Boaz had this field. As a Hebrew Israelite who who honored the Lord, he had the edges prepared for anybody, anybody who was an outsider to come get it. So Ruth says, hey, can I go and do this? And so with that, Ruth goes with Naomi's blessing to glean grain from a field. And I know I spent some time on this this whole idea of the marginalized, but really what we want to see in these few verses is the writer of Ruth tells us, and I I want you to underline this this word in verse 3, that she happened to be in the portion. She happened to be in that portion. The literal translation of this is uh, by chance, chance. By chance, chance, Ruth was in Boaz's field. Because friends, do, do we actually believe that she just happened by chance to be in that field? Twice now, the writer has mentioned Boaz and his ancestry. Did you notice that? The, 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 the two times that we heard Boaz, what did the writer say? Boaz from Elimelech's family. Boaz from Elimelech's family. And what's interesting about this, and we're going to get there, spoiler alert, I hate to spoil it for you, but, but Ruth and Boaz are going to get together, and from that line, Jesus is going to come. And so Ruth, her husband, her first husband dies, and she marries a man from Elimelech's family. So Elimelech and Naomi now have this relative in Boaz, or this relative in Ruth, and Ruth and Naomi would be the great, 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 great grandmothers of Jesus, And so the writer is pointing this out, that he was from Elimelech's family. He is from this line. But not only that, that Ruth happened to be in the field. By chance, chance, she was in the field. And we don't believe there she was happenstance, and and neither does the writer. In reality, the writer of this story, if we were sitting around and he was reading it, would be screaming, see the hand of God at work here. Guys, the same hand that had sent the famine later provided food is the same hand that brought Naomi and Ruth to Bethlehem precisely at the beginning of the harvest. Did you notice that? I know you didn't. They came to Bethlehem when? At the beginning of barley harvest. Bethlehem is translated as the house of bread. And so when the famine is gone, they come at the beginning of barley harvest, and what that means is for outsiders like them, there's plenty to go around to eat. You think they came by happenstance? And now the same hand has guided Ruth to that portion of the field that is belonging specifically to Boaz. God is providing. And I began to think in my life, and honestly, I wrote this probably two weeks ago, but the person I'm going to talk about is actually here that I haven't seen in a year or so. But uh, I remember when I went to college, um, and I remember the first day that my parents dropped me off, uh, I was like, what did I do? What did I do? This is horrible. Now, yes, it was because Emily dumped me as well. Um, (laughs) But she came crawling back, so we're good. Um, But I remember thinking, like, what did I do? And by happenstance, um, on my orientation months later, I met a dude. We happened to sit beside each other, and he was like, oh, I'm from Greensboro. Where are you from? I'm like, dude, I'm from Thomasville. So we met each other, and that guy who I met up with on the first day because I was like, well, I need some part of home, um, we met, and his roommate happened to be uh, a guy named Will who lived in that town. 
And so we started talking, and I, I'm for real. We saw the hand of God because what I was desperate for was home. I was so homesick. And within 48 hours, uh, Will, who's literally sitting right here, like I wrote this. You think he just happened to be here on the day that I was going to talk about it. But it's true. Uh, his family became my family. Within 48 hours, I think uh, Terry Earls was, was cooking me a meal. And Randy was playing us in basketball. And he was in the Navy for like 70 years, so he was real tough. Um, but, but in that moment, I just happened to connect with the, the right people. I just happened to connect with them. Friends, do we really believe that that happens by happenstance? By chance, chance, I connected with them? Or was it the hand of God knowing exactly what we need at the time we need it, doing it? And in this story particularly, I said it at the beginning, but I wrote it down in my notes. What we are seeing, and this is the, the, the thrux of the gospel of Ruth, God's heart is for the overlooked, undervalued, vulnerable outsider. It just is. In the book of Ruth, God's heart is evident that by the happenstance, by his sovereign hand, he is for the overlooked, undervalued, vulnerable outsider. His hand has been at work this whole time. He is actively orchestrating kindness and blessing for Ruth the Moabitess. Because friends, as we continue reading, she is not going to be stuck to the outside. She is going to receive even more than she went for. And that's what I'm reminded in college. Man, I was, I was at the table. I was on the couch. I was whatever you needed, we're here for you. We're your family while you're not at your true home. What do y'all think Ruth needed? Let's keep reading verse 4. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. Can you imagine walking into work tomorrow and your boss walking in and be like, The Lord be with you. You'd be like, what's wrong with you, man? Like, but this is the kind of boss that Boaz was. Verse 5, Boaz asked his servants, who was in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? And the servant answered, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked us, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she has rested a little in the shelter. And then Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain from another field. Don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. Here in this moment, we see God's heart through Boaz for the overlooked, undervalued, vulnerable outsider, and Boaz provides Ruth with protection and family. Isn't it so sad? It's, it's a tragedy, honestly, that in the scriptures, Boaz has to tell the, the male workers, do not touch her. You see, a Moabite woman being in, in Bethlehem was, was not good. If there was anybody to be taken advantage of, it was Ruth. Physically, sexually, emotionally, whatever it was, socially, and here he says, I have commanded the guys not to touch you. Sad that it's even necessary. But he also provides her with family. He says what? Do not stick to the outside, but come to the inside of the field with the other females. And when you're thirsty, go get a drink. It's kind of like this. I shared it with our serve teams this morning in our huddle. If you have a piece of property and, and, and say you hunt on your property, who can hunt on your property? You and whoever you invite. 
You can't just walk onto someone's land and start hunting. And so Boaz in this moment says, this land is your land and not from the, the USA song. Um, <laughs> but like, for real, this, this, this land was made for you and me, right? That's what it is. No, Boaz says, do not stick to the outside. Like you're here. And guys, do you recognize that historically in this story, this meeting with Boaz could have gone the complete opposite for Ruth? But it's even better than she expected. And this is redemption working in full. Because as we come to a close, this is where we land our last two verses for today. Verses 10 and 12, notice this. She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her in verse 11, everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full reward from the wings, from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. For being honest, it kind of sounds like karma. <laughs> Boaz is like, why am I doing this for you? I mean, look what you did for your mother-in-law. On the surface level, and I love how one pastor puts it, it's almost as if we just need to throw the goodness boomerang out there and hope it comes back to us one day. And it sort of sounds like karma. Why have I done good towards you? Because you did good towards Naomi. And lots of people are good with this kind of thinking. So many people today are very, very cool with, if I just do good things, good things will return back to me. And maybe one day I'll do enough good things that when I die and come to the pearly gates, they'll let me in. A lot of people are really good with this. But that's not what Boaz says. He does bring out what she has done, but then at the, the end of verse 12, what does he really say? Underline this in your Bible. May you find favor with the Lord under his wings where you have seeked refuge. It's not karma. It's favor. And the Old Testament basically hijacks the word grace and calls it favor or vice versa. When you see favor in the Old Testament, it is the New Testament word for grace. And our sermon in a sentence today is simply this. I hope you'll write this down. That grace is found, not earned, under the sovereign hand of the Lord. You see, none of this in this story was earned. What did Ruth do to earn a journey back to Bethlehem? What did Ruth do to earn the margins of the field? What did Ruth do to earn being invited into the middle of the field? What did Ruth do to earn the water? Nothing. And Boaz gives it to her. And this is what this means. It is refuge. It is protection. And Boaz says, look, it's not because you have done good that I have returned to you, but because you have sought refuge under the Lord. This is what it means when Ruth uh, made the testimony in chapter 1. Your God will be my God. When you make that testimony, you are echoing this message that under his wings I have found refuge. Notice Psalm 36. Listen to this. God, your faithful love is so valuable that people take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Or notice Jesus' words in Matthew 23, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus, looking out to Jerusalem, says, I am the king who you can take refuge under, yet you stone and you kill the prophets and the messengers. 
if you just would, if you would come to me and, and, and Jesus, I love that Jesus really qualifies himself as a mother hen. Does anybody have that painting in their, in their, in their kitchen, right? As a mother hen that like as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, this is what I would do with you, but you were not willing. By his authority and under his sovereignty, the Lord is extending grace to those who don't deserve it. This is the story of Ruth. Oh, it's so easy to look at Ruth as an outsider. And the writer does this. Anytime we mention Ruth, what does it say? Ruth the Moabitess. It's like the writer just wants to commit or uh, completely remind you that, like, she's not from here. She's an outsider. She's not an Israelite. She's a Moabitess. So easy to look at her as an outsider. You probably read that and you don't think anything about it. And as you go past Ruth, when I say outsider, there are probably people that you think of when I say that word. Who's the outsider? Who's the foreigner? Who doesn't belong here, right? We love to throw that around. Who do you not want to get close to? Who do you not agree with politically or socially? What would it take for you to show them this type of kindness? Those are probably the outsiders in your story. And the reminder today is that under the sovereign hand of the Lord, and sovereign just means he's in control. The grace that is extended to us is, is not earned, it's, it's, it's found. It's, it's found under the refuge of his wings. Because friends, as we read this story, we must understand this. You and I are the outsider. Ruth isn't the outsider, you're the outsider. I'm the outsider. You and I are the foreigner, the outcast, the enemy. And through the gospel, which is the good news that Jesus has come as God and done everything necessary to save us, would go to a cross, be buried in a borrowed tomb, and resurrect over death on the grave. Because of that, Jesus enters enemy-occupied territory and calls the stranger or outsider the citizen. That's why we chose this name. Ephesians 2 is clear. He says, because of Jesus being built up and being brought near, because of that, you're no longer the foreigner or the outsider. You're the citizen of God's kingdom, being built on the apostles and prophets as Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. Because of him, you're not an outsider anymore. And our mission here is to see all people brought near and built up through a relationship with Jesus. It is in God's kindness that he has extended favor towards you and towards me. So what would it mean for you to go out today to the marginalized, the vulnerable, to the overlooked, to those you don't agree with, to those you don't want to get close to, and what would it look like for you to get really, really close to them in the name of grace? What would that look like? And as the, the ladies come back up here and lead us in one more song, I just want to ask you, not only do you see the marginalized, do you see on the edges of the field and invite them in, but are you the one on the edge of the field? See, one of the things that I thought about as we were reading this scripture is, is today, man, may, maybe you were on the edges of this idea called faith. And maybe like a swimming pool, you walk around enough times, you're going to what, fall in? But maybe you on this 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 field called faith, you are on the edges and you, you think that isn't enough. You're like, I'm good here. I'm safe here. Ruth was safe on the edges. It wasn't until Ruth was invited into the middle that she could come. And our faith is, is, is working the same way. It, it's not enough that God has just saved you, but man, the life that he has destined for you, he is inviting you into the middle of the field. You may be content on the edges, but he's inviting you to more. 
And I just wonder, as our prayer team is in the back and as we sing one more song and offer prayer, who, who in here, maybe you're on the edges of this faith thing. You've been, you've been hearing Jesus. You hear the gospel as you come here. You, you have these questions. You're wondering what's going on. And maybe today you need to hear the invitation of Jesus, just as Boaz invited Ruth, that you can actually come into the middle of the field and stick with me. You are invited. Today, you need to accept the protection and family that Jesus offers through the gospel, not because you, you deserve it, but because he's offering it. Maybe today you need to be the chick under the mother hen's wings. And you need to recognize that it is not your good works, it is not your religiosity, it is not the way you vote, it is not the way you look, it is not the way you act, but it is under finding the Lord that you find this refuge. And today you need to surrender your life to that. And today you need to come under his wings, find the grace and harvest the field harvest the life that God has for you harvest the dreams that he has for you redeem everything that's been broken what the enemy has distorted God is making whole again and you need to come under that you need to come under that and so as we sing one more song we're going to have a prayer team in the back I would love to pray for you and here's what I want to do this morning I know sometimes you may feel like man I don't want to get up from my seat people are going to think like what's wrong with her what's wrong with him I get it it's kind of why we do it in the back. <laughs> if I was like, hey, come right here, like you'd be like, nope, I'm good. So we do it in the back. But, but here's what I want to do this morning. As I pray, I just want us to, to bow our heads closer. And, and, and maybe, maybe right now you, you, you don't have the courage to get up and go find prayer. That's okay. It's okay. But maybe today the Spirit would just encourage you to lift your hand. That today you, you need refuge. That today you, you need help you're on the outside and, and you want to accept the insider invitation. So what we want to do is I'm going to ask uh, Ben and Pete and, and, and Hope can go back there as well. And, and you guys go on back there for prayer. And as we sing, you go back there. But before we do that, let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. And I just wonder if there's anybody in here, anybody in here who would say like, I, I don't really know where I'm at, but I'm not on the inside. And I need refuge and, and I need protection. I just, I wonder if there's anybody today that would confess they need refuge. If that's you, would you have the boldness just to lift your hand a little bit? So Lord, we bless you for that. We bless you that you bless us, that you first loved us, that you first defend us, that you first offer us protection. You offer us family. You offer us insider access by the gospel. That, Lord, you had a vision and you have a heart for the overlooked, vulnerable, on-the-margin outsider. And that, that doesn't start with Ruth. That starts with us because of our sin. And you would enter enemy-occupied territory. And you would do everything necessary to save us and to bring us defend us so Lord we're no longer on the edges we're in the middle we're in the middle and so Lord for anybody today who needs that boldness to leave the fringes because you are inviting them into the middle because grace is found not earned would the spirit lead them in that direction Lord would you guide us as we worship you thank you for loving us it's in your name we pray Let's stand together and sing.